Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Cat Builder Talks Radio Show with your host, small business expert, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. Join us every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildernetwork. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Cat Builder Talk with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people. Talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. Here helping you to build the capacity to change your life. Helping you to walk in your purpose. Great things happening. Pay attention to the emails and invitations that I'm sending out. It's important that you're in the room. I'll be speaking at and hosting a number of events. You're going to want to attend. I'm not trying to serve a lot of people. I'm just trying to serve the right people. The one thing I do ask, and I don't ask a whole lot, I need you to share my information. If you like the show, I need you to start sharing it with two to three people so we can share this knowledge and get everybody on the same page. On the show today, during my Cat Builder Minute, I'm going to be talking about taking ownership of your life. You know, I put a post out earlier this week about short-term versus long-term goals. You know, a short-term goal is going to the Lotto scratch-off store and buying a scratch-off ticket. Long-term goal is to own the store that's selling the scratch-off tickets. All right? So I want you to think about that because I'm putting some opportunities in front of you that are long-term goals. You got to look at it like that. So on the show today, we're going to have a discussion about Opportunity Zone from both sides, the funders and the community. You know, I have Lonnie Sabor, the Director of Small Business Development with Invest Atlanta. And I have Corey Henry, the founder of, he's the executive founder of Steam Revolution Inc., but he's a community activist that understands opportunity zones and what we're going to be doing in our communities okay so so I want you to pay attention to this conversation the mission of this show is to figure out how as a community we can take advantage of the opportunity zone opportunity so today's focus will be on the impact of opportunity zones in our community. I like to, I'm very happy to say today's show is being sponsored by HempRealEstate.org. HempRealEstate.org has a unique business model that acquires and leases specialized real estate assets such as hemp farms. They combine hard asset security and long-term appreciation potential the unique regulation crowdfunding 
allows hemp opportunity seekers to get in the game with a minimum investment of $300. So I want you to go to hemprealestate.org and check it out. This is one of those short-term versus long-term goals. So hemprealestate.org, I want you to check it out because you got to start making the right decisions. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later. So I'm going to go to break. And when I come back, I'm going to come back with a cat builder minute on how to take ownership of your life. And we'll move into this conversation about how to help our community survive. All this today on the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. I'll be right back. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Cat Builder Talk radio show with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people, talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. This is Mark Parham, and I'm back. I'm getting ready to start talking about the major topic is so many of us don't take ownership of our lives. Now, I know this is going to hit some of you close to home. I found this article today written by Michelle Reese. It's going to hit close to home. You know, just like over the past few weeks, I've been talking about finding your voice and how to make changes in your life. And it's interesting to me because I get calls the next day or texts, you were talking about me on the radio show. And I go, I was. Tonight, I'm sure I'm going to get these calls because a lot of us don't take ownership of our lives. We're living our lives, but we're not necessarily taking ownership of it. We're not taking personal responsibility for our circumstances. Now, it's a simple trap to fall into because it feels easier to blame others for our circumstances rather than to shoulder the responsibility ourselves. You know, while it can feel comfortable and easy to point the finger outward and attribute our lack of success to external circumstances, the simple truth is our lives are worse off for it. By blaming other people, we give away our power. 
Now, some of us don't really blame other people, but we're still not taking ownership, meaning a lot of times when I'm working with two business partners, I ask them how they make decisions. There's one that just, I do the research, I make the decision, and I stick with it. And the other one will say, well, I do the research, and I let happen what happens, because what's going to happen is going to happen anyways. So they're kind of allowing things to happen, and I find that these type of business partners don't stay in business long. But it's a behavior. It's a habit. And once we're accustomed to it, we stick with it. We've also been told by higher authorities that it's not our fault that our lives are perfect. You know, due to different factors, the economy, the government, globalization, crime rates, all these things, our lives are not perfect. And a lot of us feel overwhelmed by the increasing complexity of modern life. So in reality, we have more control of our lives than we think we do. And the more we shift our blame outwards, the less you're going to enjoy a healthy, engaged, fulfilling life. I'm not saying you're doing the wrong thing. I'm just saying you can do it better. You know, thankfully, like all habits, thinking can be broken. You can regain ownership and control of your life. Now, we never have had real control ever since we were a baby. Our parents told us what to do, what to wear, how to dress, everything. But we got to start taking control. So let's start talking about the role of locus of control in taking ownership. How we act is determined by many factors, including our belief system, personality, upbringing, behavioral tendencies. You know, I know a lot of people that say, I always land on my feet. But that means they're allowing themselves to fall. And there's others that go, I don't have to land on my feet because I make sure I don't fall. So our ability to influence our own circumstances is governed by our locus of control. So we have two types. We have internal. You have higher levels of personal responsibility. You're more likely to take ownership of your decisions and hold yourself accountable for your actions. You work hard, you get the things you want, and you act in accordance with what's important to you. Sometimes that can rub people the wrong way because you're worried about what's important to you. You make your decisions based on your values. But you're more likely to enjoy better health and have lower stress. Now, the external locus of control you kind of tend to blame external factors for your circumstances. You see other people or think there's reasons for not achieving your goals or not getting what you want. If you're trying to deal with somebody and things aren't coming out right, you don't really take ownership of what your role in it is. You kind of say, well, it's their fault. And they've been the who the way they are forever, but you're kind of letting them align with what it is you're trying to do. You know, so you got to understand that that letting the external control you identifies you as just kind of riding the wave, letting everybody else take the blame. So I want you to do a few things, and I'm going to get to the show. I want you to notice your blaming tendencies. You may not even realize that how often you put the blame on someone else for a situation you're in. It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. No, it's you. So the first step in building ownership is to notice this initial response, acknowledge it, acknowledge the role you played in the decision, and do something about it. The next thing I want you to do, I want you to focus on solutions. If you come up with a do, do have a problem, we're ingenious about creating creative solutions when we need to, but you got to focus on creating them, okay? 
And this is a big one. I want you to practice your power of choice. A lot of times people don't choose. They allow these decisions to be made for them. They would rather, instead of getting out in front and making a decision and riding with it, they hope for the best. I hope it works out the way that I want it to, instead of making a decision to deal with it. And sometimes they win. Don't get me wrong. Scratch off tickets. You go in, you scratch it. Hey, I won $20. Okay? But when they lose, it's so devastating because it could have been prevented. All right? So I want you to practice your power of choice, and I want you to be accountable for your situation. 100% accountable. Not just partially accountable, 100% accountable. And the last thing is I want you to try discomfort, okay? It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. I'm working on some of these things myself. For example, I'm getting out, getting in the public more. You know, it's safe for me to sit here on the radio and talk. But I'm making sure that I get out and spread the word. And stay off that social media. Stay away from the television. It's poisoning you. It's bringing thoughts into your world that you don't have time to think about. So take ownership of your life. Mark Parham, Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. I'm going to go to break and we're going to come back and have this discussion about Opportunity Zone. I'll be right back. Mark Parham, host of the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. My good friends in hemp real estate have a great investment opportunity in the industrial hemp CBD industry. If you don't know, the hemp plant is in the same family as marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Did you get that? Hemp CBD does not get you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S., and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill passed in Congress, making it legal to grow hemp CBD and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. The market is wide open, and they need land to grow all the plants. That's where hemp real estate investments comes in. Their business model is simple. They buy the land that supports the hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed, high-paying tenants. They are the hemp CBD landlords, and right now, you can get in on the action and buy into the land. You can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $300. That's right, from $300 up to $10,000. To invest, go to HempRealEstateInvestmentsInc.com. That's HempRealEstateInvestmentsInc.com. Get in the game. Do it now. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes, I did the same things over and over, until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Cat Builder Talk radio show with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people, talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. 
Hey, this is Mark Farham, and I'm back. I'm hearing some technical difficulties here, so I'm going to back up. All right, I'm coming back. You guys hear the clicking? Barely. Corey Lonnie. I hear it barely. Okay, okay, it's going. It's yeah, going I away. Hear it. Stop, stop now. Okay. That's all right. So we can move on with the show. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, I want to start this out by just talking about the fact of what opportunity zones are. I have Lonnie Sabor. I'm going to call him the Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Director of Small Business <laughs> Development at Events Atlanta. And I got Corey Henry. I'm going to call him the Young Jedi Knight. <laughs> Founder and executive <laughs> director of Steve Revolution. Guys, All welcome right. to the show. Thank you, Mark. You know, Good to be here. Yeah, the issue because I want each of you to introduce yourself so you can give your proper uh, introduction. And uh, so, uh, Lonnie, you start. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Lonnie Sabor, director of small business development for Invest Atlanta. And over the years, I've had the privilege of being able to finance uh, well over 600 businesses in the city of Atlanta, all different sizes, all different forms and shapes, and uh, also being able to create uh, 10 revolving loan programs for the city of Atlanta that, ser- that really serves a large gamut of different types of uh, businesses, industries, uh, helping people who have a dream and uh, trying to make that dream become a reality. I've been able to do that over the years. I've, I've been able to actually leverage over $600 million now of public and private sector financing. And so one of the things I'm known for is being able to, you know, uh, talk to a person, figure out what their what their financial needs are and how Invest Atlanta uh, through the city's programs can be able to provide them uh, assistance in making that dream become a reality. And I've been doing this now. I can't believe it, Mark. It's been been forty years. Yeah, no, man. That's what I said. Obi Wan. Yeah, I go back to. Uh, I came in on, on the Maynard Jackson's administration. And so, yeah, you did. That's what I said. Yeah, so Obi Wan Kenobi, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the I see, I see the very line strong and, with and, you. Yeah, and and it's, it's been a it's been my privilege to be able to assist. Uh, so many companies, uh, both startups and existing companies, over the years, and you know, financing a lot of franchises as well. And you know, and this is a good a good topic for us to be having today, and in the terms of being prepared for opportunities. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a. Uh, there is no time like what's and I've been here in Atlanta since '88. And I've been a small business owner, but I have not seen the opportunities that are in front of us right now that are available to us. But we got to get ourselves right. So, Corey, introduce yourself. Hello, hello, and, and you're absolutely right. We have to get ourselves right. My name is uh, Corey Henry. I'm the uh, founder of Theme Revolution. Uh, I'm an uh, Army veteran, uh, disabled veteran, Um uh, West Point graduate. Uh, I've owned businesses. I've owned trucking company. I've owned franchises out here on the ground. I've worked in corporate America. I've worked in the military. I've done a lot of different things as far as 
uh, understanding the different levels uh, that it takes to build a microeconomy. So uh, we're manifesting that in, in, in the area of STEAM. So we take science, technology, engineering, entrepreneurship, arts, and mathematics into uh, disadvantaged communities. We're creating what we call an Opportunity Zone STEAM League, where we bring our, our future generations together under the lens of competition to learn how to identify their careers in STEAM, and whether that be careers as, as business owners or, or careers as, uh, as uh, employees uh, and, and uh, in, in, in the areas, in the fields where employment matters. And that's in, uh, right now, it's in tech, and it's in medicine, and it's in, in agriculture, as, as Mark has alluded to with these hemp and the rise of hemp. Yeah. I think of hemp yeah. right now as what cotton was to the, uh, the era during slavery is what hemp will be to the American economy uh, of the near future. So I look forward to what we do is help um, help young thinkers, disruptive thinkers, get dressed for the party so that they can get access to all of this capital that's being made available through the Opportunity Zones. So we uh, we teach that as a part of our narrative. Opportunity Zones is a part of our, our narrative because it's one of the most important discussions that our community can possibly have or has had in over the last 50 years. So I'm excited to be a part of the discussion with, with two people who've been sword fighting in this community for for decades, to say the least. And So, I'm going to start with you. You know, we have this Opportunity Zone initiative that's come up, but a lot of times things that come up have been here before. They dress it up different, put a little lipstick on it, and bring it back out. So let's talk about, before we start talking about what's happening today, over the years in your involvement with, you know, business development, have there been other programs similar to what's happening with the Opportunity Zone? And let's just discuss what kind of the outcomes of those kind of things were. I guess one 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 of the big ones that came around, I guess around it was 1996 or so during the Clinton administration, uh, in in Atlanta was the empowerment zone, and back in around that time frame, uh, the city of Atlanta was one of a, a few cities that was given a hundred million dollars in financing uh, to be put into depressed areas, uh, areas that were underdeveloped that needed to be turned around and that sort of thing. And uh, we look forward to from that point from '96 to about 2009. Of the hundred million dollars the city of Atlanta received, there was still forty million dollars that hadn't even gotten out to the community. Wow! And without going through all the litmus tests about why that happened, it's safe to say there were there were some people who wanted to decide who got the money, and they wanted to be able to be, be able to get the money. And so that 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 it was a lot of you know friction going on that kind of thing, which is why. At that particular time, there was so much money still left. Now, I have been trying for a number of years to establish a revolving loan fund by being able to access some of that $100 million in financing. Uh, But it wasn't until 
the last year, 2009, that I was able to establish two revolving loan programs uh, for from the Empowerment Zone Fund for Invest Atlanta. And I only had less than six months to move $3 million because uh, whatever projects were not funded by the end of December 31st of 2009, I meant all the money that was left would go back to the federal government. It wouldn't be able to be accessible. So, but we were able to put together a pretty good team and we were able to move that $3 million out. Uh, uh, A portion of the money was actually set aside for people who wanted to do facade renovation uh, up to $100,000 of financing. Um, and it was uh, loans and properties maintained for three years. The uh, no interest uh, forgivable loan went away. And we were successful in being able to do that to provide uh, uh, property owners, uh, business owners as well in the in certain corridors in the apartment zone corridor. You know, so I think that that's kind of a, and the program is even around today. We still have uh, uh, money in the program now because of the programs I created also were a revolving loan fund. So unlike the facade, we created uh, finance projects that were able to uh, enable us to finance projects uh, that were actually paying us back. That's just, I think, one example of how, you know, we've been down this road before a lot and uh, things uh, have and have not worked out. And there were there were there were, there were some very good success stories, you know, from the apartment zone as well, though. Okay. The programs we, we we had. So you know, I'm gonna get ready to go to Corey real quick, but success stories meaning so there was some positive impact to the community. Oh yeah, most most definitely. And okay. Especially with the funds, we 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 able to, uh, you know, we were able to leverage and also to uh, turn around, you know, for example, over in ML King. If you might recall, you know, with the when the uh, tax allocation districts, the TADs were set up, um, uh-huh. the side over there where where uh, Walmart is now, that that's in a TAD, but right across the street okay. was was outside the TAD. <laughs> you know, so wow. you can give money to people to help them out on one side of the street, not the other side of the street. So I, we we intentionally here uh, drove. Uh, uh, I directed our money to go primarily to the other side of the street uh, to, to provide some kind of a balance during that particular time. All right. Now, Corey, were you here during those years? Were you in Atlanta? You know, I, I, I wasn't. I, I studied the programs. You know, a lot of those were on track with a lot of the things that HUD was doing. Um uh, the empowerment zones and and the opportunity zones. You'll find that one of right. the largest landowners in those zones is HUD. So, you know, between HUD and the Black Church, that's uh, those are some of your larger uh, landowners in those zones. So, I think uh, uh, what's critical to understanding in this particular remix is. Uh, is making sure that uh, we understand that they're selling ownership of these either plots of land or in these businesses. I mean, this is literally a transfer of ownership to a degree in order to participate in these opportunities. So we have to be very strategic about the way that we um, prepare 
these business owners uh, prepare these landowners so that one they can take advantage of this opportunity and two not not sell their themselves out to where they're you know saying bye bye and 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 no longer in ownership of the uh, of the opportunity so i think uh now is definitely a time where community leadership is going to be critical uh at the grassroots uh we're going to have to go you know and look at the ground not from the ground but from above the ground uh, from a uh, geographical point of view and be strategic about the approach that we want to take. There are hundreds of billions of dollars seeking to be on the ground uh, through these programs. Uh, and this is not government money. This is private money. It's so it'll be a little bit different than the programs of the yeah. past. Well, that's why I wanted to bring up the past. You know, what, what, what have we learned from it? Uh, you know, Lonnie, from the standpoint of we we left some money on the table. One, we ain't gonna do that again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> okay. But the deal is, uh, you know, Corey just mentioned leadership in the community. Lonnie, during that time with the Empowerment Zone, who were the community leaders? Were they business owners? Uh, Corey just mentioned churches. Who led the community? Yeah, but well, well, you know, in in, uh, in in our case, because of the the, the well, uh, the the general empowerment zone, you had community people, you had churches involved in terms of participating uh, and, and pr- providing information to its membership and people that live and reside in these communities. And at the same time, though, uh, they also had an opportunity to help and start some businesses. And so when we set our fund up, which I mentioned, it was a short window for our fund initially, and that was like the last six months in 2009, uh, what we did strategically was to identify some of the uh, major uh, uh, minority firms and other firms as well, too, uh, but concentration on minority firms in these corridors that we could provide assistance with in the form of low-interest loans. I think our, our interest rate back then was probably around apartment zone, like 2% interest rate on, on, our, on our financing, uh, no prepayment pillar, that kind of thing. And a lot of them, a lot of ones we worked with were able to, you know, uh, pay, get passed through our credit review committee, which approves all of our loans here at Invest Atlanta, and kind of and move, move, move the ball forward. Now, um, I will comment on, 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 on the current structure of the federal, of the federal opportunity loans, which are different from the state opportunity loans, which are credits. The, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the federal opportunity loans is actually money that's coming into these distressed areas. I think it's like 23 or 24 distressed corridors in, in, in the city of Atlanta by itself that uh, uh, is available to attract investors. So, you, so on one end, you got these, uh, you got these investors who are looking to benefit from uh, uh, tax credits to be able to look at investing in these zone areas, okay? And at the same time, though, uh, you're looking at the existing company mass that exists sometimes in these corridors because it's, it's depressed. It's, the areas are depressed for a reason in the first place is that a lot of these corridors, you don't really have the business level Existing that can really take advantage of someone that wants to give you twenty million dollars, or fifteen, or thirty million dollars, 
okay? And so one of the other challenges begins to see how you can make this information available to other companies to get them to want to relocate or locate in these zone areas to be able to benefit from that. That's going and to be so the that, key. That, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the key, the key, and another key is that uh, because it's an it's an investment, you're not talking about an LLC. You're talking about a C corporation. You're talking about someone yeah. that's set up as a C corporation who wants to get take in investors for a short period of time in their company. And so, uh, the the thing is that if they don't have a business model already that says, yeah, okay, I, I I'm looking for ten million dollars. And I already had that in my in my business plan some time ago. At least uh, the average small business is not going to be able to meet those qualifications uh, to attract that kind of investment pool. So that that's so that that's part of the, the challenge that's going on right now. So in Invest Atlanta, what we've been doing is that we've been doing a combination of things. We've been looking at marketing the federal opportunity zones, and and uh, I call him Doctor Doctor was Ed Smith is is a plump person. Invest Atlanta that, that manages that for for, for our, our effort, and then we also um, realize that in these zones there are businesses that need small amounts of money. So that's where we leveraging our existing revolving loan programs to help them out, yeah. and then also identify those businesses who might be ready to position themselves to get some of the larger money. Yeah, yeah. So Corey, I think Corey, are you chomping at the bit there? <laughs> Yes, I mean, too, he said a lot of great stuff. To his point, we have to look at the timeline of this legislation. All right, let me go backwards. The Opportunity Zones is a part of the Tax Cut Jobs Act of 2017. All right, the the Tax Cuts, yes, that was one part of it. The Jobs Act was the critical piece that made that that really opened up the change and how the economy is going to be manifested going forward. And what it allows for is a lot more crowdsourced investing, a lot more uh, working out new ways of getting access to capital for small businesses, okay? Um, As we look at our business infrastructure that we have now, living in a, you know, Atlanta is at a minimum uh, the future Silicon Valley of of the United States, definitely uh, the future financial capital of the United States because of the fintech industry. So as you look at all of the entrepreneur opportunities that are going to come, if you look at, if we study Silicon Valley and how they were created incubator by incubator by incubator by incubator, that's the effort that we're going to have to put in our community. A lot more incubators, a lot more getting businesses dress for the party so that they can become investable, so that they can become bankable, and so that they can grow and expand and have access to the human capital that they need in order to be the businesses that we'll need in the future to sustain uh, a black economy or any economy for that matter. You know, uh, I say a black economy because 50% of the 56% of the people that live in opportunity zones are African American especially in yep. Atlanta. So, so, so tell me so this, we have tell me this at, Corey. Go ahead. You mentioned earlier about we got to get our leadership to understand what's going on. Who do you consider that leadership to be here that needs to disseminate this message out 
so everybody can understand it. I mean, definitely my brother who's on the phone with Invest Atlanta, but but also we have to look at, um, you know, our institutions of learning, you know, our, our black colleges. Uh, we have to look at uh, our churches who own significant amounts of, of, of property in these opportunity zones. I mean, the leaders are going to sort themselves out. You know, they're not just the people who rah-rah on the, on the microphone, but the people who actually have a voice in the community because these are not going to be federal votes, nor are they going to be state votes. These are going to be local votes that are, go on, that are going to go on the ground in order to make a community prepared to receive hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars. You know, these are local votes. So when I say community, I mean literally the grassroots community that is wrapped around those different opportunity zones uh, are going to have to wrap themselves around some concepts that will allow for money to flow into their community. And so, I hope I'm not so, being uh, too fake. No, 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 no. So, Lonnie, is that what Ed is doing for Invest Atlanta, taking this to the community then? Yeah, 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 right. Ed, Ed's doing that, uh, you know. And so, you know, I think one, one, of, the, one of the important things here to realize is that uh, there, there are levels. For example, like the, the, the STEM industry provides an opportunity for someone who is in that field uh, to have a business model that is attractive to the larger investment market. So yeah. a person might not might not want to invest twenty million dollars in a restaurant or some type of uh, general everyday kind of uh, service business, but they could see the potential in a technology based uh, entity Absolutely. of maybe ten million dollars and boom, boom, boom. So now Absolutely. we're saying, okay, uh, maybe it's an incubator kind of development thing happening here where, you know, uh, the business person gets with uh, 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 different organizations and mm-hmm. uh, they elevate it and then they, they made a little small money at one point, made, made $100,000 or $500,000, okay? But that $500,000 investment now has positioned them to be able to look at a larger market chain. So now, the because they're located in in one of these uh, federal opportunity zones, now the big money, which is looking for these credits, exactly. can look at hey, I can put fifteen million dollars in this, and I, I can see how my return is going to be coming along and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I think yep. it's up to us to be able to assist in that evolution. So that's one thing we're trying to do here. I know he's trying to do that in terms of uh, getting the word out about these. I think it's twenty six. Uh, uh, Federal opportunity zones in the city of Atlanta, and all of them ha- have to be in our in so-called distressed community areas of the city. Absolutely, uh, getting the word out about what is available, and then we and we as as African American community in particular have to be able to yeah. position our business model to uh, this to be able to take advantage of an opportunity. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Corey. Is he telling? I mean, that. Is there a sweet spot for the type of businesses that would attract this funding? I mean, maybe they don't exist. Maybe we need to start creating them or, uh, I don't well, know, you keep I, using I, the word incubator. I, 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 um, I like to listen to Dr. Claude Anderson when he talks about the different layers, 
right? And I think there's layers to the way that we approach uh, getting this money on the ground. It's it, it's not just firing off one big successful project at a time. I think it's more of a, a of a coordinated strategy of what are our needs in the community? Because when you fill a need, you you create consistent demand. And right now, one of the biggest needs in our community are going to be telecommunications, uh, the laying of fiber wire, uh, the establishment of high-speed uh, 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 high-speed internet in communities that are disconnected. If you go 25 miles outside of Atlanta, you have people that are living in the Stone Age. They literally don't have any access to high-speed internet, you know? And they have to drive into the city in order to park at a Starbucks or something in order to get on the Internet. So there's so many different things that we can do, and Atlanta has to look at, we have to look at Atlanta as a leadership for the whole state, if not the entire South as far as the black community is concerned. So whatever we're going to do in Atlanta is going to matriculate outwardly to other areas, to Birmingham, to Augusta, to, to Chattanooga, to to Memphis, to Mobile, uh, down to Louisiana. It, it's all going to stem from their watching what we're doing here in Atlanta. So when we talk leadership, we have to be conscious of that, uh, of that point. We're still, we, I, don't, I haven't seen in the country yet a single project that we can point to as the prototype answer to what we should be doing with Opportunity Zones. You know, yeah. we're still at zero, ground zero. And right, the money right. is already on the clock. So, so what so, I, I would say this: so one one of the things that uh, I know Ed Smith is doing here, was a poor person here in Invest Atlanta on the on the Federal Opportunity Zones, is that uh, you know the more you get out out to the community, the more you go into the empowerment zone areas and you talk to people and you look at the businesses that are there, uh, we, we can't hope but see that what. But uh, one thing that yeah. is necessary is maybe a, a lowest, a, no, a low initial scale. Uh, yep. If you, you got somebody education. that's right, education and and also development. Maybe maybe uh, the education would be, uh, of course, a very vital part of it. But also the the, yep. the amount of money they need. Maybe uh, they can right now they can maybe they can stand a million, but they can't stand five right now. And so what what yeah. he's looking at Ed, Ed has done he's been able to attract. Uh, and we have a website available. We've got projects on there. We've got people who are looking at investing in these projects on our website. And what that uh, what that does, he's able to attract uh, people who are looking at just putting in maybe a million, a million and a half, something like that, okay, which yeah. would, which might be on the first level or scale of scaling up. You know, you get that million, million yeah. and a half, what can, what can you go? I mean, maybe you're just doing, you know, $100,000, $250,000 right now. But you got to mean yeah. you can do so much with that to position yourself to take advantage of the opportunity uh, that available to you by just being in in these uh, these enterprise zones. These, these, uh, well, let let me uh, switch the script for a second. A lot of the because of my role at the Urban League, when the uh, the Mercedes Benz Stadium was going in, and when different things have gone in, I've been charged with going in the community and getting a pulse. And there's a lot of distrust in the community for these types of programs. And yeah, they're just trying to move us out. How do we yeah. How do we deal with the elephant in the room? 
there's no trust in the community that all the good stuff we're talking about is going to benefit the community. What are some of your thoughts on overcoming that? Do we just move forward and show them, or what what do we do here? Yeah, I think hope is tied to opportunity. I think you're always going to have people that don't want to see change when they don't see a change and and what they have access to. So I I think in order for us to really shift the community, we're going to have to show where we built some pipelines to success for them. And whether that be pipelines to success as entrepreneurs or pipelines to success as, you know, as engineers or in agriculture or, you know, there has to be the workforce development piece or the community agreement piece in order to make them feel comfortable because they think this is a government program. This is not a government program. This is legislation. (laughs) This is legislation. Lonnie, your take on that. Lonnie, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I, uh, definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, it's it's a situation where, you know, a couple things. Number one, because the program is actually – it's really the program is really – geared toward the business person or persons involved in that enterprise. But as you get to the community, the community is concerned about, okay, you know, are there jobs in there for me? You know, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of benefits am I, I, I going to get as a person that lives in this community? If you're going to be bringing a, say a high-tech firm in there, uh, yeah, that's great for the city of Atlanta, but the people they're hiring are going to be tech people. You know, uh, and uh, I got certain yeah. skills. So, I think that the flip side of that is, and it was just mentioned a while ago about the fact that what we need to do also is have the uh, the workforce development, the, the training, uh, showing that, uh, that that's something that that's an that's an offshoot of certain things happening on this scale, uh, and maybe there are some entry level positions that that the community could be involved with as well. So that way you, they'll see well if X Y Z company 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 comes comes here because nine times out of ten. That company is not already there. Nine times yeah, out of okay. ten, not already there. It's going to be coming in. It's going to be coming. Okay, and then it's, the, it's the a, issue is yep. what, what? Yeah. The way the legislation is written, it incentivizes companies to move into opportunity zones. So what's going to right. happen is there are a lot of companies that are already dressed for the party, that are already ready to be opportunities on investable, who will be encouraged to move into an opportunity zone, which means on the south side of Atlanta, on different parts of whether it be Riverdale or or on the west end, there's going to be a huge demand for more uh, buckhead-type landscape, more more commercial area, you know, and and that demand is going to drive the future of those communities, but the community will have to will have to make it to where the community benefits, whether they benefit as a part owner, whether they benefit as a as a stakeholder, whether they benefit as a long term shareholder. That's up to us in the way that we execute these different opportunity zones. But opportunity so zones it behooves us to right now create these training programs and put them in. Can the can the training 
like say uh, verbally want to put a workforce development center in the middle of an opportunity zone to start training people on laying fiber and stuff like that. Is that something Absolutely. opportunity zone money can be used for? Training well, there's people. demand. Well, 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 see that the opportunity zone. I mean, the, the money itself is actually going to the company. In other words, yes. the the okay. uh, see the the money uh, like investor investor land. So we got we we're we're over these these uh, federal federal opportunity zone uh, districts and areas, but the money is not coming from invested land. Invested land is is really competing with other cities around the country. On trying exactly. to attract certain types of investment in the city of Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you, you kind of start there initially, and then uh, secondly, you, you got to look at the situation where uh, the, uh, the, the, the 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 business has to be is trying to attract. Maybe has to be a certain type of business that you know would also can potentially benefit the community. So it's kind of a two-edged sword there. The way I look at it, mm-hmm. because yeah. you got to you want you want to please the community, but the main thing though is that you want to get the company there, and then having dialogue with the company, in terms of whether the area getting the company to realize that it can best sustain itself, if it's a, if it's yep. in, a, in, a, in an inclusive community spirit, and that all that kind of thing, which is where the you know the sharing of information and resources and all that kind of thing can come in, and maybe yep. workforce. You know, a company's coming in, maybe they have a plan. To uh, be able to right. hire so many people in the community, okay. you know, as, as an incentive to, to go there. Because thing, thing, the thing is, they, they want to be there, but they also want to, I think, in most cases, be part of the community on some level. Okay, all right. You know, I know that you know we we just scratched the surface of this discussion, uh, so that lets me know that we need to have a, another uh, public event where we can Absolutely. really chop this up a little bit. You know. Maybe Ed got something coming up in the near future. But I think having this dialogue with, you know, Lonnie, and that's why I was so excited about having you both of you on the show, because we got to figure this out. I really, and I'm even taking ownership. You were talking about, well, we need somebody yeah. who is a leader in the community. I mean, that's yeah. what my role has ended up being by default because of the work I've been doing. So I'm willing to step up and take yeah. ownership on how to get this out there. But, but you know, you know Mark, one of the. I was going to say one one of the big things that's missing, and I wrote about it in my book, you know, and it, it's is collective economics. Because one, one thing economics. one thing one, one thing in America that's not being made uh, more of anymore is land. Yeah. Okay. People talk about the belt line. Oh, look something with the belt line. Okay, the belt line. There's uh, people own property, and when the belt line was formatted, you know, laid out. There were people that already owned a lot of that property around the belt line. So a lot of them have benefited from that, that experience. So now, so now that we know that they've got these uh, these distressed areas in, the, in, in these communities, okay, you know, why wait until, you know, somebody wants to go there? Now, somebody has to buy it. If these companies are going to come over there. They're, they're going to be buying the property and that sort of thing. So if you already, if you own the property, if you have an economic yep. uh, collective group of people who come together yep. and they realize what's going on and they, they, they become proactive and start buying this real estate, but you got to have what I call yep. patient money. And patient money say, well, I don't know if it's going to be next year, two years, five years from now. <laughs> okay, but I do know this is going to happen sometime, and we, we control it. 
And then so you Absolutely. you actually see the person that controls it determines really on who goes in it because you got you want to sell it. You know, and so we got we got to be more proactive in terms of uh, uh, pulling together people with you know like minds. I always say like minds. Got to have like minds, and you got resources yeah. and money. They got to come together and they got to take control. Even if it's just maybe one or two uh, areas where they think that something is going to happen, you know, and do it. And then and thinking, you know, what happens here in Atlanta, you know, once the ball starts rolling, <laughs> it's gone. And uh, all, yeah, all these problems start going up. What's cheap now? I mean, you know, think about it now. Properties you could have bought for maybe 20% of what's going for right now 10 years ago. You know, uh, properties over there in Westview, uh, Kirkwood, West End. And, yeah. You know, the properties, even even the old Fort Ward off of Albany Avenue, properties going for a million dollars. Well, see, what you said is the key. Collect, collective economics. I think we have to get into the eaches with what that means. And as we look at technology now with blockchain, uh, the abilities to aggregate small amounts of money is way more possible than it used to be. It's not like the collection plate at church. It's just as quick as the press of a button on your phone. So I think it's critical that we we look at all the intelligence that we have in all these universities and find digital solutions that our community can can adapt in order to aggregate our dollars so that we can fight against outside investors chipping off at our properties one lot by lot. You know? Well, we probably have to put a plan together for that. Because uh, you know, I mean, that's almost like the the sponsor for my show now, you know, wants to buy farmland to lease to help cultivate, okay? But it's collectively mm-hmm. doing it through crowdfunding and things like this. So, but uh, but we got to come up with some scenarios. So you know, I you know, I'll step up and maybe I need to get with Ed. We need to plan some forums where we can sit down. But I I think collectively, unless we put a strategy together. We all can focus on. We'll be having the same conversation about five years from now, and and there won't be any change to our community. If yeah. it is change, it's devastating change. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah. It, uh, I agree. So, uh, so Lonnie, I mean, you put a plug in for your book and everything. You say, Tell us the name of your book so they can run out and get there. You know, because you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> right. The, the book is entitled Getting Paid Common Sense Business Tactics, which is available on my, my personal uh, website, which is uh, Lonnie Sabor, Lonnie, L O N I E, Sabor, S A B as in boat, O R, uh, dot com. And, and what was that term you that, used? Uh, collective? Collective Economics. Like have a, have a, have a chapter, chapter on the book on, on that. I'm actually I'm in the process right now, as a matter of fact, of, of updating. I wrote that book in 1995. <laughs> but have you ever read Think and Grow Rich? You know, yeah. things you read, you read, you read then, it's still relevant today. And so what I found out that about 90% of what's in my book that was written in 1995 is, is relevant wow. today. But I updated it to include like crowdfunding and some other things that. Uh, uh, wow. Even federal yeah. opportunity zone to talk about that too, and uh, in there to kind of give everybody an update in terms of what what is out here. Uh, you know, in terms of getting paid in America, you got to have common sense too. 
right. So that's the second edition. What, Corey? What about you? How do people find out more about you? Where can they go? Uh, uh, please visit my my um, my website for Steam Revolution is www thesteamrevolution.org. Uh, we're available. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm active on social media. Uh, and um, as Corey Henry, and uh, you'll find me at the Cap Builder Network. Happy to be here. Happy uh, to be here. All right. So, hey, guys, uh, let's make an agreement that we're going to need to get together outside of this to put together some strategies. Because things totally. are changing very rapidly, yeah. and, and I yeah. just don't want us to miss out. You know, you know we right. had an yeah, American delegation but, but, in here last week, and they were more worried Mark, about us than we are about them. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. All right, I can I leave my, my, web, my uh, web information on Invest Atlanta, too. So it's uh, www.investatlanta.com. And also, right. on, uh, for the federal, federal zones, our, our website on that is ATL. OpportunityZones.com ATL OpportunityZones.com And I'll make sure to post all this stuff uh, when I do the replay of the show, but I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to come out and have this conversation in the beginning of a much larger conversation that we need to yes. force ourselves to have. We can't just Definitely. allow it to happen, so I, you know, I nominate myself or whatever I gotta do to make this happen, but I don't want to see us our education system is hurting. Everything is hurting right now. We got to fix all this stuff. So uh, absolutely. All right, guys. Checking that. Thanks Look for coming out. All right. Thank right. you. Thank for you, coming Mark. Out. I appreciate your time. Yes. All right. Thank you. So you heard it tonight, people. You know we got to get together. We got to fix these problems. But we can't do it in a vacuum. We can't do it by watching social media. We can't do it by watching other people do it. We have to make a conscious decision to get involved. And I'm pledging myself. I'll do what I can. Uh, I've been doing a lot, but there's always ways to do more. So this is Mark Parham, Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. And as I say every week, I look forward to our next encounter. So take it easy. And we'll talk again next week. Got a great show planned for you. Welcome back to the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show. With Thank you for joining us this evening on the Cat Builder Talk Radio Show with your host, Mark E. Parham. It is our mission to provide you with the information you need to make educated decisions, decisions that will help you walk in your purpose. We are here every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Please post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildertalk. We hope you enjoy the show.